How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Soapstone. My name is Duke. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Duke. How's it going tonight, Duke? It's going pretty good. I'd say a full three-esque pretty good. Three-esque. Per, per turn. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, I'm also going to take my, my taxes, obviously, because I'm the Duke, so. I'm also the Duke. We are Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> Duke sees Duke. Duke respects Duke. <laughs> right, yeah. I, too, am a man of God. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not until literally every other player at the table uh, also claims to be a Duke that you, you know it's, it's a little bit suspicious. Speaking of Dukes, tonight we're going to be talking about a... John Wayne filmography. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So... Literally the only thing that like came popped to my mind was Blazing Saddles. Not a John Wayne movie. Ooh, that is that is not not a, actually at all. Um, John Wayne's made movies, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But Bonanza? I don't know. No, that's a possibly. That's, I would just say TV the cow- show. Cowboys. Yeah, Cowboys. He's in a movie. A classic one. He was a Cowboys player. <laughs> yeah. He he ran down the field <laughs> with the football, you know, dodging the steers. Steers, yeah, uh-huh. that's something. Right. Now they're trying to get to another state with a with a horde of thirteen year old boys. I don't remember him being part of one of those controversies. Those are other people's. <laughs> but uh, tonight's episode is um, not sponsored by anybody, but uh, inspired or brought to you by a community request from friend of the show, Thorn. Who, hey Thorne, thank you for writing in. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Uh, wanted to talk about uh, board games, one of the topics he suggested. And so we wrote down some thoughts about uh, about board games. And the first one's technically, I guess, not even a board game. I nope. would say it is a tabletop card game. In fact, we're going to disappoint you a lot tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You've taken the bait, now here's the switch. <laughs> <laughs> you let them keep the bait you actually just switch them <laughs> the pig's eating the carrots like it's fine i'll have welts later but i have the fucking carrot got the carrot uh so yeah first one uh if you didn't catch on was coup coup which is uh, very popular spelled c-o-u-p mm-hmm. i never would have been able to connect the two you see me what it? dave <laughs> uh sorry uh, <laughs> so yeah uh Coup's mostly a card game, right? So it's got yeah. tokens as well. Yeah. Um, so tokens are just something you can collect to then cash in on, uh, basically to coup. Mm-hmm. Everyone starts out with two coins. They if said you the have thing. Seven <laughs> coins. Yeah. We got them. <laughs> if you have seven coins, you can spend your turn action just killing a player's influence. Mm-hmm. And an influence is a two car- is a single card. Mm-hmm. Each player starts out with two, and they are dealt anonymously. And you can have any combination of one of, I believe, five characters. Yep. Looks like five. So there's the Duke, obviously. 
There's the assassin, the captain, the ambassador, and the contessa. Right. Which I think is the only one that explicitly sounds like a female title. Ah, uh, Duke also. Contesso? <laughs> Contesso. I guess Duke would also be explicitly, explicitly male. Yeah, because it would be Duchess. I'm a little, I'm a, I digress a little bit. Um, but they each have their own roles, right? So mm-hmm. being able to have one of those cards grants you legitimate access to certain special features. Yeah. So basically, for anybody who's not familiar with the game, which I assume most people are, because I feel like it gets brought to every single party. Right. But uh, there, there are some people who don't go to parties, like myself. <laughs> all right, Jake, then I will explain to you the <laughs> rules of coup. Thank you. Uh, so... The dealer, myself in this instance, would uh, deal out two cards to each of us. Uh-huh. You have a chance to look at your cards whenever, as long as you don't reveal them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get a card, which kind of explains each of the character's actions. Yeah, so your instruction in, card. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically your refer sheet. So to go into some brief detail, Assassin can pay three coins and make somebody remove an influence, mm-hmm. which is lose one of your cards. Uh, the Duke can get more money per turn. From collecting from the bank yeah um the captain can steal money from people mm-hmm. the duke can exchange cards with the court deck which is just the main deck mm-hmm. so you get to look at the top two um take however many you started with and put the other two back so it kind of gives you some insight on what other people might be playing as right and then the contessa to just say like fuck you you're not gonna assassinate me yeah and i think ambassador can swap out roles right yeah, mm-hmm. ambassador can look at the deck and swap those cards. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can be like, hey, I'm an ambassador. Let's make that swap. There's a catch, though, and that is you don't have to be honest in this game. It's true. I can't see Jake's cards, and he can't see mine. So if he says, I'm the ambassador, and does the ambassador-specific action, I'm like, hmm. Very suspicious. Do I call him out? So if I do call Jake out, I say, Jake... You're a dirty fucking liar. I've known you for years. Mm-hmm. This is not your line of work. Right. Ambassading. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> I am very badass? No. <laughs> if, I, if that's how I declare it, too, as, like, as an expert in ambassading, you might have like some, some hints hmm. that it's not legitimate. Right? <laughs> but basically, uh, everybody else at the table has the opportunity to call the person whose turn it is action as bullshit. If mm-hmm. it's a character-specific action. So if I call bullshit on Jake, he then either has to say, you know what? I accept your statement as calling me out. I will reveal a card. Actually, that's your only option. Yeah. If I commit mm-hmm. to bullshit. Yeah. If you commit to it, then it has yeah. to be revealed whether it was a lie or not. So Jake has to reveal a card. Mm-hmm. If he has the... I already lost the guy. If he has the ambassador at that point, he can choose to reveal it. Yeah. If so, I'm legit. I called his bluff. He proved that he was an honest and noble man. Uh-huh. Just and so not I learned. actually <laughs> lose <laughs> an influence. <laughs> not learned it, ambassador, but <laughs> still See, an but ambassador. That's one of the things you can do. You can mispronounce something or like refer to your character sheet as. I'm the what, duck. <laughs> what can the duck do again? Oh, the duck can take three coins. I'm the duck. <laughs> three bills. <laughs> <laughs> three loaves of bread. God damn it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this this game when I when I first played it, I um, really struggled with the deception part of it because I'm not used to being able to like kind of bluff some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm uh, the Duke. 
And then people would be like, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no just, just sit down. <laughs> Some people start off with like really bad tells uh-huh. where you like, you can see the nervous sweat and they haven't even done an action yet. Mm-hmm. So you tend to call those people out early. Um, but a lot of those people will also use that as a strength later. Like this is my consistent trait. Right. If I do it every single time, it will kind of blend in. Right. And people won't know whether I'm telling the truth or a lie. So you lose the first two games in the best of three, but you win the third. There have been a lot of games where I've played with Annie, who mm-hmm. I consider to be a very sweet person. Friend of the show. If she's listening. Mm-hmm. If not, then no, no, no. Yeah, right. Um, but I've seen her be like very cutthroat and sneaky about stuff, and she yeah. just pulled out things. I, would, I didn't even know she was doing them. Mm-hmm. And I usually feel that I'm good at reading people somewhat in those games, but right. I was taken aback. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting and you can, you can drop yourself, you can put yourself in some positions where, uh, one of my favorites is if someone goes to, um, they say, I'm the assassin, I'm going to assassinate one of your roles. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're put in a tricky spot because if it was the, was, wasn't the Contessa can defend against assassination. Yep. Um, you can say, I have the Contessa. If you actually have the Contessa then awesome i mean that's what you would do if you don't then the assassination goes through you lose one of your roles and because you're called out on lighting you lose your other role and you're instantly out of the game yeah so the games go really quickly yeah because you to go over the ways you can lose cards um if somebody calls bullshit on you and you were lying if you call bullshit on somebody else and they were correct if you get assassinated or if you get cooed yeah but like you were saying, if you can like bait an early assassination, because it only takes three isks, because you still have to pay to do the action, mm-hmm. whether or not you're the assassin, and it puts somebody who has two cards in that situation of, I don't want to be out of the game. Exactly. But at yeah. the same time, I could just be aggressively baiting, because at worst, I lose one card. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun to have those mind games for the back and forth. It's harder uh, as a defender. It's also the perfect game where it's like, hey, I need to use the restroom, so I would like to resolve this as quickly as possible boom aggression you know just start lying like crazy and you either win or you immediately lose um it's pretty good it's a really good uh party game there's a couple games on this list that are solid party games because most of the interaction comes down to a social one yeah as opposed to as a a parsed a parsed as opposed to uh more interaction um with the mechanics of the game itself yeah Mm -hmm. and it's it's a good small party because it would only support up to, I think it's five. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say, mm-hmm. I have no idea. It might actually be six. Uh, but basically you want to have, oh, it says six, yeah. yeah. So everybody would have two cards. You still have three in the middle to mm-hmm. work with. Yeah. But basically the key thing is just trying to figure out what people have and when to call bullshit. Yep. Because it's pretty common. Someone would be like, I'm the Duke early. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to call anybody out too early. They don't want to burn cards because they don't have any information yet. Right, exactly. Then round two, maybe they're trying <laughs> to steal as the captain. You're like, okay. And then round three, they're trying to assassinate somebody. And you're like, <laughs> like, did I miss my window to yeah. call bullshit? Uh-huh. Or is this now the window? Is this, yeah. Yeah. If, if, if that's, that's, the, uh, that's the advanced strat. The madness strat is um, every turn, use an action from a different role. <laughs> Statistically, I feel like people are going to start calling bullshit on something. <laughs> uh, a lot of times, bullshits, though, seem to be reactionary. Mm-hmm. 
Where if I go to steal from you, you're like, I don't have anything to block this. I really don't want to, you know, lose coins. Yeah. You're you're not the captain. Right. And I mean, that would come down to game theory. So, yeah. like, if it's a move that would hurt you more, then obviously, if you're at, if you're on your last roll mm-hmm. and someone's like, I'm going to use the assassin against you. Like, yeah, you're going to claim to be the Contessa because otherwise you lose. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, there's there's a lot of kind of tracking of roles, uh, similar to the other uh, similar sounding game, Clue, but you don't get that nifty little um, notepad to track down all of the suspicions and then confirmations of notes like you could in Clue, which is a game that's not on our list, but I easily could have put it there. Yeah, we could have gone back to like Milton Hasbro type. Yeah. Snakes I, and Ladders, uh, game theory. <laughs> I almost put Monopoly on there at the end, just kind of as a joke. Just because, like, I could legitimately talk about Monopoly, um, but l- I feel like everyone knows how to play Monopoly. Um, you would think, but brief tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, like the rules that majority of people play by are a variation of their own house rules. Okay, because of how some things work, like free parking and um, like one or two other things. Yeah, for like how, when you're allowed to buy properties and when things actually are mortgage etc yeah i know know there's like nobody does that correctly there's like including myself accelerated rule i think whereas Mm -hmm. it's like if um if you choose not to buy a property it goes up for auction like everyone can bid on it um and i know i think the most popular house rule is probably no cap on hotels so you're just like boardwalk and park place i don't care about statistics i'm just gonna feast or famine win this or immediately lose Oh, I landed on your 17 hotels on Boardwalk. I guess I'm out. <laughs> That's the thing. It does kind of become a bit of a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Where, like, statistically, sure, it's a lot not as likely for you to land on your thing. But when that happens, you're going to get paid dividends much more than if somebody hit your stuff going around every time in the light blues. Right. The real advanced strategy, I think, in Monopoly is to close specific streets to divert traffic onto Boardwalk and Park Place. There are one or two um, <laughs> draw to like take you right there. Yeah. So if you factor that in as well, they're usually like utilities, aren't they? Like Reading Railroad, Red, Reading Railroad. You know what's funny? This is a tangent on the tangent. I just gotta also quick say I can fly twice as high. Yeah, exactly. Um, so coming to Pennsylvania, um, I was like, oh, okay, it's pronounced Reading. It's not Reading. Mm-hmm. It's just Reading. But the association with Monopoly is still reading. Even though I literally know it's reading. My brain first goes to reading. So. Oh. Reading rail. <laughs> Butterfly in the sky. <laughs> so anyways, next game, uh, after Monopoly, we have uh, Beneath Nexus, which is a game people are less likely to have played than Coup. I, I have tried. to. <laughs> <laughs> Dave hates it. <laughs> so. No, it was just a thing that Jake has really enjoyed the game. Mm-hmm. So he brought it to a lot of social gatherings. And I'm right. like, irrespective of appropriateness of bringing the game. You're dressed and you didn't bring lube? You spit in my face? <laughs> Actually, that might work. Um, but yeah, you've been really hyping this game for a while. Mm-hmm. And I did eventually get on board. And I got to say, I really enjoy. I mean, I won't take the full discussion away from you because i know you're hyped mm, no, i'll just i'll just go oh, okay. <laughs> um 
but it's really cool how it's like a co-op versus i guess it's like pve yeah type yeah it's like i want to throw the word asymmetrical in there it's like an asymmetrical co-op game sort mm-hmm. of but um, basically you have um it's a it's another card game um, but it's not a deck builder um where you have one antagonist uh the blight lord and you have a variable number of players or heroes um and you each pick a hero card at the start of the game and they each have their own deck mm-hmm. that is constant like it doesn't change you don't lose cards you don't gain cards it's just like your set of spells throughout the game exactly so once you've exhausted like um all of the cards from you have your draw pile you have your hand you have your discard once you it's kind of traditional rules once you've exhausted your draw pile if you were to need to draw shuffle your discard it becomes your draw pile right very straightforward that's probably the base rule set for card games right um (laughs) all right you're done get out of here (laughs) yeah uh the uh some of the the depth comes in in the form of like the actions you can take Mm -hmm. so there's green symbols which are uh, full actions there are uh gray symbols which are passives and then those are on like the hero cards mostly okay i was gonna ask (laughs) the monster card for our audio listeners exactly and then there's uh, yellow symbols which are reactions Mm -hmm. and um each uh round you start with the blight lord um they go first they get an action for every um hero in play um and then their goal is basically to kill all the heroes um before they they win the game essentially and does the blight lord have a static deck as well uh they do uh, they have a more expansive um pool of cards to kind of draw from but it's uh, a composite between common blight lord cards between all of the blight lords and then the specific blight lord cards from um the particular one that the heroes are facing so you can pick at the start of the game hey i want to play apep the blight lord apep i want to play lamesh 2 i want to play fiends of adelphos things like that Mm -hmm. um and they all play differently and the heroes do as well they have their own flavor and uh, mechanics um so a lot of times the heroes will try to synergize their abilities a little bit uh in order to cover more gaps right so like let's say you're going against you mentioned apep yeah what type of blight lord is apep and what would be a good roster versus that from the hero side right so apep's probably the one we've played against the most he uh is mostly direct damage and spell cards he has a couple like discard effects but he's the one that's going to be uh, casting spell cards to deal damage directly to heroes um, or putting curses on them that persist through uh, the encounter to define like encounters there's two encounters and then there's a boss fight mm-hmm. that's like the full game um, and uh, he he just focuses on trying to burst down the heroes like as quickly as possible or set himself up in such a, a position that he can do that um, which is really good for initial play Um, because you don't have to worry too much about diversifying your strategy it's just like how do i get my number of like the damage i can output greater than their health and on the hero side you'd probably want to take someone like uh, varin who's uh, a the healer essentially of Mm -hmm. of the group there's a couple different heroes that have some healing uh, but varin specializes in it and then he has a lot of reaction spells that are just things like 
if a player would die or a hero would die <laughs> you can't you can't prevent death in real life if player dies uh, stop the game the blade lord does not win <laughs> that uh, seems fair but if a hero would die they're instead reduced to one health or um ignore a spell that the blight lord cast mm-hmm. that one's particularly strong if the blight lord's like trying to play magic the gathering and like it's like all right we're gonna s- prep the combo with this essential first piece and then i'm gonna use the rest of my three actions to execute you're just like first piece doesn't happen <laughs> like oh okay well i guess then um so that's one way you could kind of play around that you could also uh take uh toa which is a very popular or powerful, I should say, a hero that um, has a passive whenever he takes damage once per turn. Um, He gains this ether uh, resource that he can channel to heal himself, um, and it also makes his cards more powerful. That's his mechanic. He kind of plays around. Um, And then his cards also can redirect damage onto himself to help fuel his ether, which is really cool. Uh, so if you want to like play a second time uh, and you play a different character your impact in the fights can be completely different um which i really appreciate from a game like this where you want some longevity you want like you want variance between the matches it never feels exactly the same yeah like with rng is a mechanic between your decks and the blight lord decks and who you play with each time too because mm-hmm. i think i've played it once or twice mm-hmm but each time we had a different group of people, so people chose different cards and they played a little bit differently. Yeah. But then usually towards the end, people are like communicating like, what can we do to not lose this turn? Exactly. And you keep trying to prolong it as you're grouping up against this deific enemy and you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. And the, the nature of the fact that the Blight Lord gets one more action for each player means that he doesn't get more turns. It yeah. all happens on the same turn, but it makes his turns his or her turn spikier like the potential damage output if you have because it's up to six players so you could theoretically have five heroes and one blight lord and if you're like i would like to start with my six actions because it's one plus or no it's one for each player so five actions mm-hmm. you could just nuke one you player. could just kill a person yeah <laughs> your turn <laughs> um it's it's pretty ridiculous uh the other the other main variance comes in because um, for the first two rounds, they put three cards out, one for each encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the players get to choose. Uh, they're, they're upside down, so the players don't know which one represents which. But they agree on which encounter they want to run, flip the card, and that's what they run. So, Is it just like a variation on the Blight Lord itself? Or is it some other sub-mechanic that players have to achieve? It's, it, it's what defines the objective for, the first, for that round mm-hmm. or, or for that encounter. Um, so an example might be there's one where um, usually you would present a monster for each player. Um, and so if you had four players, there'd be four monsters in play. And each have their own abilities. The Blight, Blight Lord can use his or her actions to execute those abilities. And then the players choose who receives the effects of the monster abilities. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like magic declaring blockers. Um, there's one encounter where instead of that standard setup, uh, you instead um, pull out uh, a Blight Lord um, and put them into play as a weak monster at a reduced state, just a level level one monster, basically, as though they were in a boss fight against one player. Uh-huh. 
but they will have their ability as like a boss fight monster at level one power and it can be bad like um the one i think i see pish pick the most is uh lamesh two mm-hmm. who has a, a passive in her final boss fight where um every at the beginning of the blight lord's turn she pulls a monster into play with one health just so if you don't kill her she just continues Stop to pull monsters. monsters which have three additional effects per turn yep mm-hmm it's pretty absurd. It's it can get completely out of hand. So that's kind of like a DPS race. You got to get the Blight Lord out of play. Got to get the monsters in hand. And once you wrap up the encounter, um, treasure comes out, and um, there's a mix between cursed and uncursed treasure. Cursed treasure, best treasure. Some cursed. Some cursed. <laughs> yeah, some cursed treasure is actually really good. Um, but it always has like a flip side. So maybe it's like, oh, you get like a bunch of extra damage on an attack, but you take a bunch of damage in return. Yeah. Um, but if there's cursed treasure, you have to pick it. Um, you can't ignore it. You can't be like, oh, I would like the non-cursed piece. But you do get to choose which player. What, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But like, as Toa, if one of your mechanics is built around, like, if I take damage, I got this resource to work with to heal or do more damage. Yeah. You're like, I will take this cursed thing. And then you can use that to help synergize with your team. Exactly. Instead of having your healer who's like, I want to heal other people, not myself. Mm-hmm. Try and deal with it. We literally had um, we had Nicole playing the uh, Toa in the last match, and we ended up with two cursed relics um, from across our two encounters. Mm-hmm. She took both of them because they both were self-inflicted damage. To, so she was just like generating essence. Uh, and me, it works like a charm. It's really freaking good. Um, but yeah, those two encounters and then the final boss fight, which is always climactic. Because the boss has um, a health crystal for each of their abilities. And so they usually have like a significant amount of health and then just devastatingly powerful abilities uh, to try to try to wrap it up. And in the times we've played, um, unless we got absolutely stomped out in the beginning by Lamesh 2, because <laughs> freaking Lamesh 2, um, it's been really close at the end. Like really close victory for the heroes or really close victory for the Blight Lord. And it feels it's it's a really fun game that mm-hmm. accelerates to the end. Like it picks up, and like you were saying, that can that cooperative nature turns into everybody like because the Blight Lord. There's an advantage to the Blight Lord um, if he knows what your cards are. People are like you know doing the whole like like pull their cards over the side, be like check out this thing I got, yeah, you know, check out this thing. And I like that. I like that kind of in group versus blight lord sort of co-op yeah because you can take people who have never met before like hey we're meeting a party um like you take two random couples like hey we're all playing this game okay and those people become friends because they're working together against that common enemy exactly and that's what that's one of those warm the cockles feelings that i i do relate to it's actually really appropriate too because when i first played this game it was at magfest and Uh it was literally with strangers and we were like we're coordinating trying to figure out how to beat the blight lord like getting all this stuff together um the manual could be like slightly better it's not it's it's got some vagaries and undefined things um yeah if you have to loosely interpret a game i feel like you can clean that up a little bit yeah a little bit we actually do do the dummy text if you need to yeah so people are clear on what's going on we actually we found a a bug or a broken aspect in it like in one of our first sessions where um uh Dan was playing, uh, he played a monster called a Die Buck, 
mm-hmm. which has a on death effect. It has like really low health. When a hero hits it, they actually gain health, which is really kind of rare. Um, but when it dies, it's replaced by a monster from the discard pile. So it comes in at full health, right? Very dangerous because there are some strong monsters that could be in the discard pile. Mm-hmm. Um, but he got two of them in play. And the first one died, brought something else in, cool, whatever. Second one died, and he's like, I'm just going to bring the first in. So now we literally can't win because as soon as we kill the monster, which is necessary to end the encounter, it brings in the second die buck. And it just keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. And we're like, I don't think that it's actually possible to win. There's a no win state. So we went and we talked to the creators of the game and described the situation. Cause this monster was actually in a booster pack that they were kind of announcing and releasing. Oh, okay. their so it might not have been like fully play tested as far as, they, they apparently didn't think of this because uh, I described it. And you just, you just see, like, the look of horror, like, <laughs> pass over his face as he realizes. Your fly's been undone for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, uh, we're going to release an errata. <laughs> like, well, glad we could help. <laughs> we just have to say, like, accept other diebacks done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the home rule now is we just home ruled you can't bring back a diebuck with it. Because we've actually had another game, the most recent one we played with Zach. That's when we had a die buck and a die buck in the graveyard. And I was like, this has happened before. This has happened before. Can't do this. House rule. This is illegal. <laughs> illegal. But yeah, that's uh, that's beneath Nexus. I like it because it's easier to get into. And uh, it doesn't take, like, if someone hasn't really played a lot of, like, card games, things like that, games oftentimes have a lot of setup. There's... Uh, a game later in the list that has a lot of setup and um, beneath nexus provides that kind of fantasy adventure combat uh, kick and like interactions between card mechanics things like that while keeping it to a level where you can just jump into it as opposed to like read this book now you can play yeah i really like stuff like that it's kind of like easy fun to pick up for like a smaller group Mm mm-hmm and ideally it has like cool mechanics and cool art design as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's just like, there's nothing else on this list that just has really good art design. If you know, only it's... there was Oh look, it's Karmaka. Oh my gosh. Box sound effects. I feel slightly lied to you as uh I'm looking at the box and it has pretty good art. That's what I'm saying. So this was something that uh my cousin Kevin turned me on to. Mm-hmm. He was following it on some Patreon or early access thing and I thought it was a cool idea and back the game. So we got to play it over like some holiday. I was like, man, I got to buy me this. Yeah. Because I really enjoyed it. So basically the game is about ascending yeah. into final state. <laughs> the whole thing is you're going through different lives. You start off as a dung beetle and you go through different levels. Mm-hmm. But essentially, your lifetime is you have six cards that you get. I believe two start in your hand and four Mm. start on your local deck. Yeah. And per turn, you get to either play a card as a deed. So you put it out in front of you for its point value, which Mm -hmm. can range between one and three per card. Or you can play the effect that's red on the card. Exactly. So sometimes you want to get out points. Sometimes you want to use the effect to influence maybe the next round or other players Mm -hmm. 
But that's the key part of where it comes in is the other player's bit, the karmic balance. Right. So if I play a card that targets you, you're like, oh, that sucks. I'm going to be kind of like side-eye and day one to get him back. Right. Naturally. So what you can do <laughs> is actually take that card that I played on you and put it into your future life pile. Right. So What's your future life? So after you've played through all of your six cards, whether they're out on deeds or just played and got scrapped after their effect was resolved, you essentially die and get reborn next turn. Right. If you have enough points, you ascend to the next level. Um, and you would draw up to six new cards. Mm-hmm. But if you put anything into your future life pile, that becomes your new starting hand. So you might be having kind of like a shit round. Where you're like, well, maybe I can plan ahead for next round. Yeah. Or maybe you can plan for end game. You're like, oh, I'm going to drop this combo or do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So like those interactions are really, really make the game for me. And also the cards are broken up into three different styles, which are thankfully color coordinated because I'm not a smart man. Uh, red for your more aggressive cards. Right. For things if you want to burn out cards or destroy what other people have. That's normal. That's a, that's a standard impulse. Red I think. aggression? Weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Red, the defensive color. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, green is your vibrant and things for like replenishing your deck or getting a card from the graveyard, bringing it back mm-hmm. for vitality's sake. And blue, just like in magic. Yeah. Weird how this has been consistent throughout RPGs and spaces. Um, is for like trickery and manipulation right mess with stuff color so you might <laughs> mess with your future life like oh i'm gonna store these cards away i might pull from the graveyard put some stuff in my future life might steal something from somebody else's future life yeah or i might just steal somebody's cards yeah it's a uh, it's a very interesting color i think blue cards get passed around a lot they do because you get to do like simple target things and the person's like well i would rather take that card and know that i have that Instead of just getting something entirely random that might not be useful. Right. And uh, you mentioned how you have this dual purpose. So, like, you get the points or you can use it for its effect. If you use it for its effect, it goes into the um, uh, into the discard pile, this mm-hmm. shared discard pile. Um, and some of the green cards, I know, can, can pull from that. Uh, one you, I think, mentioned a little indirectly was Salvage. Yes. Um, so you can uh, look through the top cards of the Ruins. That's what's called the communal discard pile. And pick one of them. And so that's a great reactive move. If you know, like, someone uses a really high-impact offensive spell, um, goes to ruins because the other player didn't want it for their their future life, um, you can be like, I kind of want that. You wink, grab it. You're like, Mom and Dad, stop fighting. I'll take this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of back and forth for um usually kind of in the early game people are focusing exclusively on uh, trying to get their ascensions in so get like the minimum point number of points necessary which is really easy to do when you're a dung beetle so it starts at dung beetle and then to get to the next level you need you need four points Mm -hmm. and then to go from snake to wolf you need five wolf to monkey six monkey to angelic being seven Mm -hmm. and then you're ascended yeah and you win the game at that point. But the, the other thing is, let's say you're having a really, really rough time of it, mm-hmm. and you're just not being able to ascend. You're still a fucking dung beetle. 
if you ever get passed over where you die and don't ascend, you get a little token, which is a karmic ring, yeah. which kind of counts as a point. So let's say worst case scenario, you can only put that one card, it's worth three points, and you have nothing else. You can put that three-point card in conjunction with the token mm-hmm. to be like, I have four points and I can ascend. Yeah. You so can't... if you fail early, you might be able to like hold on, hoard some of them for later so people cannot stop you from ascending at the late game. Yeah. Well, they have two cards out, I guess, and enough tokens. I'm just, just fucked. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing here. So, um, you went over some of the colors. There's one more which I I put here as chromatic. I don't mm-hmm. know what they're really called. They're special cards, right? Kind of like a rainbow prism. Yeah. Esque. Chromatic doesn't accurately convey how cool the cards look. Um, and they're all there. There's two of them. I believe you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm um mimic which is uh usually when people play cards as deeds they only count for points there's a couple ways you can interact with them red can ruin people's exposed deeds to just screw over their ability to ascend um but uh, mimic allows you to copy the effect of that deed so some most of the time if a card has a very powerful effect um, it also has a high point value Mm -hmm. so people will try to get that out into play and um you get to activate that uh, potent effect without um, without yourself owning that card. Yeah. So the beauty of something like Mimic is Mimic and the other one, Body, only cost one, mi- one point. Yeah. So you could hold them on to kind of tabulate towards your points in general, but it's a much cheaper card to just burn. To, like, let's say copy Jake's three-point red card to destroy his three-point red card yeah exactly and then like i've taken three points away from him and i didn't really have to do anything and then i only have the choice of getting the um mimic mimic back yeah because he's not activating my i'm not using my own card exactly target you i'm kind of using your own there's some indirect targets i think blue also has a little bit of messing around with that um yeah and like how targets work uh but even though they have very low point value, they um, count as wild uh, for points. So if you need four points to ascend and you have a three value green and a three value red in play, and then you uh, drop either a, a mimic or an embody uh, for points, now if either of your three value cards get destroyed, uh, you still have a path to ascend. Yeah. So As long as you have enough in that same color mm-hmm. and it's it's really cool i think the late game for uh karmaka karmaka uh, on a uh, karmak um late game is when it really starts to ramp up for me because there's a chance that you're just too far really behind uh it's usually pretty pretty even but maybe you, you made a couple mistakes in the early game me didn't really know how to play you know stuff like that you get to the end game and say one player's out in the front and they're dominating they're absolutely destroying they've just been racing through their ascensions you can just be like i realize that i am not going to win but there's like this other person who's being like nice friendly not messing around like not messing up anyone else's gameplay yeah uh you can be like i kind of want you to win and just completely yeah. screw over the guy in first it's kind of like munchkin in a way where it's you don't want to be like the the first person to the end of the finish line. You want to be the second. Yeah, and you can only play one. The, the other effective or important rule here is you can only usually play one card 
like per, per turn right yeah so you can't be taking you can't just have all of these actions prepared be like all right and now i obliterate everything and play all my cards and do all of that um it's it's much more uh tempo based yeah but to go over some of these just because the art one is really nice uh check it out mm-hmm. but second i didn't realize what a lot of these cards could do until successive plays so there's a card here longevity has a very soft gandalf like picture mm-hmm. it's a two point green and it says deal two cards from the well onto any player's deck yeah so i thought if i'm trying to die and burn out my cards mm-hmm. why would i want to draw more cards exactly ever um, but the reason is let's say you're about to die you don't have enough points to ascend you really want to ascend in this lifetime mm-hmm uh, you can possibly draw into a solution for that. Right. Cool. Let's say Jake's like, I'm really trying to die. I have all these points. I just want to ascend. And I'm going to win the game. Right. I could say, hey, Jake, but what if you stayed around a little longer? Yeah. Get and two I more can turns. now deal those two cards onto him. Mm-hmm. And that has now delayed his win condition by two fucking turns. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's really a way to usually draw cards from your own deck faster. Mm-hmm. But I know there are some great combos as far as taking cards that you have and kind of burning your hand. Yeah. Um, coming right off of that, uh, I have I have two here. Um, both red, uh, as one might expect. Hoping one is Vengeance. Uh, I don't actually have Vengeance here. Oh. I've got uh, the first one is Dwindle. It's a one-cost red. Uh, the player of your choice ruins a card from their hand. So if you want to accelerate to death, you want to like empty your hand out as much as possible. You can actually play Dwindle for its effect against yourself and ruin another card that's in your hand. You've now dropped two cards down. Instead of just one. Instead of just one. So that's an accelerated death. Um, The other one is uh, Roulette, uh, which I I had also written in the note here. Um, Two cost red. Ruin up to two cards in your hand. You may drop to that many cards plus one from the well. So... Um, if you choose not to draw cards off of that, you can just be like, get rid of my hand. I don't care about it. Get, get out of here. Um, so it kind of accelerates your death in that case. Yeah. Because the thing is, with it only being one card per turn, let's say Jake has just done an action. He sees me with three cards, thinks I have time to plan for whatever Dave is doing. Exactly. He's not going to burn three cards. And then I'm like, and I'm done. And he's <laughs> like, what? Yeah. So being able to like have those options as far as like deck and card manipulation between players and amongst your own cards, mm-hmm. I think is really fun. Another one is an, a, another one is another day green. Mm-hmm. Uh, draw a card from green one, draw a card from the well, you may then play another card. So you can just be like, oh, uh, I'm not feeling it. Cycle, cycle. Um, and yeah it's just it's it's got a lot of it's got the cool card interactions that can really sustain um a a, a match like this yeah and, and it's really easy to pick up mm-hmm. like i've introduced a lot of people to this people who are not necessarily board game minded even my parents i got on board because they don't really game that often and everybody's been able to pick it up really simply they might not be like mastered at deception and for like planning out things but they understand how the game works right and i think this would be a good point a good time to talk about um pre-game setup pre-game and yeah like 
for for like beneath nexus you've got to like figure out the monster lord deck i like have mm-hmm. used a lot of um i separate a lot of cards with bags and i sleeve everything and i try to make it as quick as possible but a lot of games take a lot of time to set up or like yes. set up plus learn and karmaka minimizes both of those minimum learning time minimum setup time you just deal them pretty yeah. much yeah um and that's it does all of that without sacrificing the depth that um, kind of beyond Hasbro uh, card games tend to have. So it's it's a really, really solid game. Yeah, Karmak has been fun every time i played it. And it's also nice. Sometimes you know you're behind in, in other games and there's no hope, but you have to play it out because you're sitting there and, you know, you don't want to just be that guy to step away from the table. Yeah. But you know that you're out of it. Karmaka allows you to still interact regardless of how behind you are, which is um, very unique from a, uh, a board game standpoint. And it's one of those things where, like, let's say Jake's peeling a hood. He's obviously going to draw aggression from everybody else. So if you just hang in there, you could be, like, two lifetimes behind, and that gap will close pretty quick. Yeah. Because then the next person will say, like, well, I don't want Stevie to win. Let me throw a card on him to burn one of his points before yeah. he dies and other things like that it's like everybody's trying to like clamber up to the top and they're pulling each other down and you're just sitting here on the side like whittling out a ladder you're just like i got this <laughs> give me my time and that is uh that's karmaka i think we can probably fit one more one more all right probably a game with a little more board setup <laughs> which you're gonna what are we going to do? So I want to mention all of them, whether I talk about them or not. Uh, we can do shorter sections for each. Sure. Um, do you have a personal preference between these three? Um, the first one. First one. I agree. I, I'd also do first one. So um, before getting to kind of the last one we want to cover, shorter sections for... Uh, something that was mentioned here was um, Betrayal at House on the Hill, which I've only played, um, I believe, one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've heard about a lot, and it sounds like it's led to some very interesting experiences. Yeah. Um, it's one of those games that lends itself well to having a unique experience each time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is for just RNG of what people decide. Mm-hmm. And also, I think there's at least 50 different scenarios. Right. And also the game board itself is dynamic right so the way it works is you have a couple people who have different stats and they all enter this haunted house together and they kind of have to go through and explore the house but also kind of build out the house whether it's the ground floor the basement or the second floor maybe you find a mystic elevator maybe some other spooky shit happens there's zombies in the basement but essentially there's a an event tracker Whereas the curse gets stronger and stronger, if you don't, if you pass the roll, things continue as normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you fail the roll, the event triggers. Now we pull out a separate booklet. Um, a lot of times there will be somebody who will be transformed into an adversary of some sort. Mm-hmm. There was once a time where I was a mummy and people had to play chess against me. <laughs> um, the most recent time I got to play, I got to play as the Rat King. <laughs> and basically my character heard rats in the walls and they were talking to me and I was going to get them a sacrifice and we were all going to work together and kill everybody. There's a full covenant around you, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rat king. <laughs> so like that was really cool because when that happens, 
the survivors or the heroes kind of meet and they have their own set of rules like hey here's what happens here's what you know right i also as the adversary go off into another room read my own booklet for this to see like what i know about my rats mm-hmm. what i can do on their turns if they have any special effects yeah um and the reason i want to mention this specific instance is when i came back the heroes had a very determined plan like here's what we can do to take out these rats we have a grenade to AOE some of them and some other stuff but they made some assumptions mm-hmm. they assumed that i could not have four rats in one tile they assumed that i could not merge all those rats to make one giant attack right. and some other things for like this is a plague's tale basically <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I was essentially the church from that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sent out all the rats. And because they made some assumptions, which unfortunately turned out to be wrong, <laughs> I was able to use like this. I was already in a good state as far as where things were placed. Yeah. Um, overwhelming rats to kind of just swarm everybody. But you played into their assumptions. I've heard this story before for a while, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you just you try not to let any information slide. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like, let's say that event was triggered later on in the game and they were much more equipped to, like, destroy rats. Right. Maybe I lose that. <laughs> Maybe for how the um, the haunted house is explored, I'm not in a good position to complete my objective. Right. Or vice versa, right? So if you take all of that and the fact that there's already 50... I'm going to keep saying 50 is the generic number. Yeah. Unique events that can happen unique scenarios mm-hmm. it's just been super fucking fun yeah it's like an hour to an hour and a half the setup's not complicated and it's just really cool to see where things go and how you work together because i'm not sure if you were in the one we played with aj i don't think so i but i don't remember the one i was in was like years ago okay in a long time so whatever the mission was aj was evil and we he had to keep something away from the survivors. Survivors had to go collect this artifact and put it over there. Mm-hmm. He found a loophole because his character got a dog along the way. Mm-hmm. He gave the artifact to the dog, and the dog can move up to five spaces at a time. Right. Through people. <laughs> and we were like, all right, that's a GG. Right. Because he had like an evil dog that could outrun everybody. Right. And it's again, like it's it just locked into that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's pretty absurd and i think one of the interesting things is you start the game everyone can be on the same side and then scenario develops that's no longer the case i really like co-op to a point Mm -hmm. one that i definitely don't have time to go into is uh i don't know you're looking at me like i would know but i don't know if i would know i get brain farts on specific names when i need it the most Mm -hmm. I can think of like some that are co-op competitive, like terraforming Mars. It's the zombies winter one. Uh, it's not dead of winter. That's, that's no, it's dead of winter. Is it dead of winter? It's yeah. dead of winter. Okay, yeah. yeah. So like you I have mean, to work together, <laughs> uh, but somebody might be working against the colony the whole time. Yeah, secretly. Mm-hmm. And I like stuff like that. Yeah, where it's like hidden role. Everybody has a knife. Who's gonna stab who? Right. Exactly. Um. So yeah, that's that is a solid entry that I would like at some point to spend a little more time with. Sometimes it's hard to get people to sit down for some of these games, which I understand. You know, Honestly, we're all growing up; it takes more time. I know Justin and Rachel definitely have it. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just saying maybe sometime we play that again. Another game that Justin and Rachel actually have that I wanted to mention was Gloomhaven, um, which it has complexity and content and verse to the amount of time that I'm going to spend talking about it. The next game <laughs> is uh, Aeon's End, which is one of my favorites. This is the other one I actually own. Um, and it is a cooperative actual deck builder. And the monster is... Uh, it you know it's not run by a player. This one is just automated boss deck. Yeah, boss deck. So uh, whenever it's the monster's turn, flip a card, monster does something. Um, and this one's really cool. I I actually quite like deck builders. I like card games in particular. Um, I like games where you don't have like a large dedicated board with a lot of things going on. And I think um, Gloomhaven. I actually I actually got because we went to a, a hobby shop. We were looking at uh, all these games, and I was like, I have no idea. And, like, I'm not the person who owns all of the games. I don't just collect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Justin. And the uh, so what I did is I went online, and I was like, okay, um, what are the most popular, the highest rated games? And Aeon's End Sort was by them. weight ascending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so Aeon's End uh, was well up there in the list, and I've had a tremendous amount of fun with it. Um, I don't want to get too tied up in the mechanics, but it breaks. Yeah, let's not talk about the mechanics at all. Yeah, <laughs> Anson is really fun. Um, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, it's just really fun. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> so for me, it felt very similar to Beneath Nexus in a way because mm-hmm. you do have the group co op versus again that big PVE. Yes, mm-hmm. and also last time we played, it was I swear that we cheated. Because that game was insanely close. We, we, we played it really close, but I don't think we actually cheated. Um, yeah, you choose your, your character, similar deal. They have their own advantages, uh, super abilities, kind of, they can charge up. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a shop. Like, one of the cool things is that the shop, um, you choose what cards will be available in the shop at the start of the game. So players can be like, I feel like... I want this very aggressive spell, this high damage spell. Mm-hmm. I want this utility spell. I want this kind of support spell. Um, I want some things that will allow me to thin my deck. Um, and getting that choice kind of at the start helps you set the tools that will be available through the rest of the encounter. Yeah. And I wish I had chosen it better. <laughs> because I mean, we like, won. <laughs> we did. But there were things like I had wished for my deck... Because I went more spell heavy, so I got some big cards. Yeah. But I also had a lot of mana resources, and that late in the game, I didn't need as many. So I draw, like, three damage and, like, 12 mana, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I didn't... I wasn't set up for a way to resolve it at that point. I just had too fat of a deck. Right, yeah. A really big, fat deck. But my character <laughs> had unlocked enough spell slots where I had the potential to do a lot of damage. Right, because you had the, the energy to open all those... Yeah, so, so like that was really cool to like prep spells in advance, and then you resolve them as you're trying to take off monsters, monsters. Yeah, you can like like many deck builders, you can build out your economy early. It's usually a pretty good idea. Uh, buy some of the more expensive, powerful spells, um, and then thin your deck so you're getting some of the weaker cards and spells like that uh, less often. One of the unique um, kind of features here is usually in disc in games like this where you have a library a hand and discard when you would go to draw 
as we as we're full circle basically when you would go to draw you shuffle your discard becomes your new library mm -hmm. um, and this one you don't shuffle your discard and at the end of your turn um, all of your uh, resource cards all of your crystal crystal cards anything that you use to get currency Kirby the crystal cards <laughs> yeah Kirby's in his crystal cards uh, used to buy new cards uh, you choose the order they go into your discard so you can actually stack your next library but that is as per round right yeah per per turn yeah so like if you're discarding three cards you choose where those three go yes yeah but you can put them anywhere right exactly yeah within those three like you can choose the ordering for those three put them on your discard now it's solid oh so i can choose the order of the ones i'm discarding to add to the pile but the exactly pile is added on top exactly okay and then you flip it over and it's your your new deck um so you can kind of like balance it in such a way that you you know you have some diversity in cards i never put that much effort into it there was probably way more strategy oh, i could apply there's definitely some because i didn't want to ever get mana flooded mm -hmm. where i'm like i don't need mana anymore or spell flooded where i'm like i don't have enough spots to allocate these spells to yeah so it was always like a, a weird balance but it's a cool angle to also think about right because it'd be easy to say like oh well i'll get what i'll get and we'll go from there and most games are like that most yeah. games have you shuffle discard but yeah, yeah your goal is to defend the town which has its own health tracker um it's called Gravehold. doesn't really matter um try not to have all the players die every time a player dies they're exhausted and unlike a lot of other games you actually stay in the game uh, but you do permanently lose the ability to cast spells through one of your breaches um which and is breaches like an allocated spell slot exactly yeah mm -hmm. um so there's there's downsides there and then if that person would take damage instead it's applied to grave hold and it's doubled so it accelerates <laughs> losing very quickly yeah and we we had what in our game like two three health left on on grave hold at the end it was absurdly yeah. low the thing is you can let you can choose targets so you can like oh um i'm the meatiest guy right now i'll take that damage it's fine yeah we can heal it off later but there are also times you can just let the damage go to the town and you're like well the town health's technically a resource mm -hmm. and so there's like one civilian left who's like thank you for saving me. <laughs> there's just like a meteor falling like right at you and you're just like ah uh, uh. <laughs> do i dive in front of the meteor <laughs> no let it let it hit the civilian and yeah, we uh, we were making decisions on the town health up until like probably 70, 80% of the way through the game. Yeah. And then we're like, it's not super low, but we're concerned because some of these cards just immediately hit the town. We were fighting Rageborn, which is much like the Blight Lords. There's a bunch of different monsters. Not right. getting into them, but they all play differently. And this one had like a lot of... I'm, I'm going to hate you in the yeah. face. <laughs> so we started arguing like the probability of what cards could be drawn uh-huh for like well theoretically in the situation if they get this enrage counter they're definitely going to attack twice mm -hmm. and i feel like that's going to be worse for what they could draw into yeah and then also the turn order is decided randomly each time it's its own deck yeah so there are times you're like well if we all get our turns before the boss goes it's not that bad but if mm -hmm. the boss goes first dave could easily die yeah exactly so we had to make those decisions like around in advance like all right guys let's talk about some of this what's going on we got to the end of it and i was playing kind of supporty and i was funneling charges into uh one of the heroes who has an ability that allowed him to disregard um special boss cards mm -hmm. for like a turn and we're like 
we absolutely need this ability up. And then the question was, do we use it on this turn or do we use it on the next yeah. turn? And we were, like you were saying, figuring out the probabilities and trying to figure out the best way we to survive. We had just enough um, whatever resource or mana that was mm, the charges. to cast it once across those two turns. Yeah. We were like, ooh. So we so, basically we were funneling energy into these people with I think it was I think it was you and one other person uh, that had high impact abilities mm-hmm. that we were using. Mine was like if I spent enough mana I could double cast one of my cards. That's what it was, yeah. And we had uh, there, there's different strategies for winning. The two win conditions for the players are defeat the monster, uh, the the big boss, the nemesis is the terminology for this one, um, or sustain the entire onslaught. So that the boss goes through his entire deck. And it's each section is shuffled, tier one, two, and three. Um, but it always proceeds from tier one to tier two to tier three. So progressively increase harder fuck facing monsters. And if you get through the entire thing, then it retreats and you've defended and you win. Uh, that's that, how we won, by the way. <laughs> that, that is how we won. Um we actually didn't do that much damage to the monster at all the entire time. It was all the, there the summons. There was so much meat buffer. Yeah. We're like, well, I'm going to hit the monster. Oh, but he summoned two dudes. I, <laughs> I got to deal with that quick. Yeah. And there was always something in the way. Yeah. Always. There's only one time I think that we straight up had killed the monster, and it's because we had somebody with a double cast ability. It's me yeah. from earlier. <laughs> You're right, right, right. But we actually killed the monster. It was a Dustin was playing him at the time, and we all okay. just funneled energy into him like constantly it was literally every other player was just playing support for an alpha strike from him uh cue, felt pretty good. cue the footage of the uh spirit bomb take my energy take yeah my energy was... you see like a bird just in the tree just dies <laughs> 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 it's pretty pretty accurate um but yeah it's a really fun game and uh i would say probably better balanced than beneath nexus as far as making sure that it's really close there at the end um, but I always enjoy playing it. So those are the two that I actually take out and I impose upon other people in their social situations where it's not appropriate to be playing board games. Am I supposed to make the joke from earlier? <laughs> <laughs> um, so outside of these games, what are games that you... I just like going to name without like huge description. Yeah, like That you else? really look forward to and it's like, I can't wait to play this again with people Like once we find the time in the this right group. It. Yeah, I don't, I don't really play anybody anybody else's games. Just these? Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. even uh, Dead of Winter that we were mentioning before? No, I mean, that that's a good one. Um, it's kind of tough because it's it's there's a lot of games that take effort to get into. But once you've expended the effort. Right. Once the effort's yeah. expended, then a lot of those come into, into play. Like um, a lot of the Cthulhu Contagion Universe also. games I really enjoy. Oh yeah, Cthulhu. Um, I think Arkham Horror uh, mm-hmm. was was that one. Um, Contagion is also really good. One. Don't you own Contagion? Nope. No. Pandemic is that what I'm thinking of? Still don't own it. You don't own Pandemic? Nope. I thought I could have played it at your house. Maybe Mike. Um, but yeah, that's it's just larger scale. It's honestly closer to Risk, I think. Um, but yeah, that one's good. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of co-op games because. Um, like I'll play competitive games, that's fine, but it feels better to work with people against the objective if the game is balanced well. Um, than uh, competitively for me, because in competitive, I know someone's losing. It's usually me, um, so it's less fun for me to accelerate toward the end. I'll, I'll have like a relatively, 
I'll answer your question in reverse. A game I didn't enjoy that much that is tremendously highly rated overall is Terraforming Mars, um, which is a competitive economy, build up points, and then win based off the points you've accumulated. And you play off of other people's turns. You know, you're all collectively accomplishing a goal, and whoever just was the most productive wins. Uh, But it's not fun for me. Yeah. Because I just, I don't know. I mean, it's just so much that leads to most people losing. It's a lot of collective effort, and you only get one winner. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather not leave certain things to RNG. Mm -hmm. Also, if, like, people can just have, like, the same common goal, but just be, like, a turn ahead of me or whatever other events happen i'm like oh okay yeah like when i when we were talking about karmaka and the fact you're engaged until the end of that that's a competitive game that i enjoy yes because you're always engaged and something like terraforming mars you can realize ah that's not a multiplier i'm gonna get you know this is something they're they're too far ahead their economy's too good and you're still in it for like 20 minutes waiting for it to resolve yeah competitive games i feel like a lot of times will enter that space um not all the time. They can be really close. And if everybody's really familiar with the game, then, you know, awesome. But it happens more often with that type. Yeah. I really like things that feel fresh each instance. Mm-hmm. And I can play with, like, the same group of people, and it'll be wildly unique. I can play with a different group of people, it'll be even more unique. Mm-hmm. Like, once people are over the hurdles of something like Dead of Winter, where you have to know some of the game mechanics before just jumping in. Right. Once you have that out of the way, you can just like, oh, sit down like a nice one or two hour play session. We'll grab dinner and we'll hang out. Those I like. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the progression for me. Like, if I'm playing with people who don't really play a lot of games, aren't that familiar, don't have like that much time. Jake's a cherry popper. <laughs> but beneath Nexus is yeah. what, what I feel. Same group of people, but a session or two later, drop a hands in. Like, I think the balancing is slightly better. It has a little more depth, mm-hmm. um, but it takes more setup, more setup time. So, um, but yeah, it explains why you enjoy betrayal so much because the the mechanics in betrayal literally change between scenarios, yes. which is quite cool. Like that's that's a lot to pack into yeah, one like, game, right? It feels weird having a board game or tabletop without mentioning something like Catan. Yeah, I grew up playing a lot of it. Were you in the same boat? I actually haven't played Catan at all, <laughs> ever. Uh, I'm sure. Are you we, familiar, we familiar with the game? Uh, vaguely, I know it's it's resource based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you're rolling dice to see which numbers come up. If people are built on those tiles with those numbers, they got those resources. Use resources to buy things, expand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fun game. Uh, usually takes like an hour, hour and a half, maybe at most. Uh, but it's also fairly simple. Right. And like I knew what I was getting into every single time. Um, so it came down to a little bit of RNG, but also I learned how to just manipulate certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And it became too rote and predictable. So when you give me something that's like, what is this? You're like, well, you know the loose rules, but it could be fucking anything. Yeah. Like ability draft in Dota. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> There's a, that reminds me, we, we played, uh, Rachel had it, the, um, the card game with like things like apple orchards farms do you remember the name of that i know it's like a city building card game yeah that's what it reminds God me damn of it. for the life of me i can't yeah but yeah i do know that game similar to that so just inject in your guys's minds the actual name of the game there you go 
<laughs> uh, I, I enjoy that. And that also resolves pretty quickly. Um, so if you're behind, you're not behind for long. That's, that's the thing that gets me in competitive games. If it's like, if, if it's reached the tap out forever. point, like, let yeah. me, let me tap. Let me like that magic rule. that It's like, you may I think forfeit the game at any point. <laughs> hesitations with games or something like nobody wants to fucking play Monopoly. Uh-huh. It's like, well, it's going to take 10 hours. Yeah. And like certain ones, it is good to know up front how long it's going to take. But I feel most things that are around an hour are balanced enough that like everyone is fun and has, is having fun is engaged. Mm-hmm. And if they do need to leave early, it's not going to fuck over the three other people who are like still really in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Party games are usually better for that. Yeah. Um, Gloomhaven is the worst for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Like I remember you guys started to talk about that like in front of me mm-hmm. and somebody's like it's okay that we're not inviting this thing right i was like listen look at my face <laughs> i don't care because I, <laughs> I don't have the patience to sit for nine hours for an entry in a campaign yeah i don't have nine hours straight for anything that's crazy yeah i i don't really have time to talk about it it's a it's a very complicated game if you want D and board yeah. game format that's not literally one of the published D games then it's cool there that's you an go. option i'm sure if i were a more hardcore tabletop gamer mm-hmm. i would love to have something that's that in depth right and that detailed because i have that deep appreciation for it mm-hmm. but right now i'm at like give me something that i could still play white girl wasted right or shit talk my way through you know yeah there's also kind of like uh if the ideal amount of time that you need to drop on it is like a summer as a teen then like i don't really have time for that anymore yeah. right <laughs> you're like it's it's a little hard to take a in. picture of the board before everybody leaves that's that game's too long yeah that one actually it's, it's encouraged you maintain board state by getting like an accessory to literally move the entire board if you need the table without disrupting it because yeah that's the opposite of the reason i like card game what i actually do i have a you know my square gaming table mm-hmm. i just kind of like have fixed like a little short three inch wall around the outside of it i fill the whole thing with water and then i put it in a giant freezer so that way when people come back i can just thaw it out over the next couple of days hmm. and then boom no board state lost yeah just freeze the whole thing yeah broken token is also a company that makes a lot of things like that but i just cut holes in the box so it's fine <laughs> works out the same in the end that it do. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this this long episode that wasn't about video games at all. Dun, Except dun, dun. Gloomhaven uh, is coming out for Steam in 10 days, apparently. Really? Yep. I was doing some research for it today, and uh, it's going to come out for Steam. You have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm going to pick I, I'm not going to pick it up. I'm going to wait for reviews, but if it turns out to be like amazing, I might consider it. Mm-hmm easier to play games online than in person um that's just how it works it's very true uh but yeah so there you go now we've talked about a video game and (laughs) we have met the uh the quota for actually getting back up on spotify and our audio distributor yeah finally getting that uh sponsor credit Mm -hmm. for mentioning that video game yep Gloomhaven on Steam coming to Steam. <laughs> yeah. We get zero money from that, so don't even don't even bother. We just get zero money. <laughs> yeah, honest. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Soapstone. As always, you can reach out to us at soapstonepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again to Thorne. And uh, you can also join the discussion on Facebook, facebook.com slash soapstonepodcast. And until next time, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you.